today I'm going to measure your Bible nerdiness. I'm a, I'm a self-proclaimed Bible nerd. I love the Bible. I love to read the Bible. I love to read about the Bible. I like to read what other men have written about the Bible and other women and other churches have written about the Bible. Um, if, you're, if you have a Bible and there's footnotes at the bottom, I like to read those footnotes. I like to figure out where their, the cross-references go and you know, the history behind the different books and authors and time periods and the archaeology of the Bible and the, and the, the history of the Bible and the, and the Jewish people and the Gentiles and the church. And, and ultimately, I just want to know more about Jesus. And so today, the way I'm going to measure your Bible nerdiness is by how excited you are about today. Because today is the last question in our Ask Your Pastor series. And question number 12 is, what about the Holy Spirit? We had a couple questions about the Holy Spirit, and I thought to myself, you know, as I prayed and studied, I thought, you know, number 12 for me is probably the biggest question. Uh, the first one was, why do bad things happen to good people? And most people see that as, uh, as the big question. Um, that's actually, for me, that was actually the easiest question. That's why we started with it. This is the probably the toughest, though. So to do it justice, we can't just do one sermon or one service. So today, to answer question number 12, we have to start a whole brand new series. So we're actually concluding a series by starting a new series called Holy Ghost, The God You Never Knew. The graphic's a little... Uh, it needs to be brightened up a little bit. That's on me. Sorry about that. But Holy Ghost, the God you never knew. Many of you, if you're a newer Christian, have never heard the Holy Spirit called the Holy Ghost. Um, it's the King James version of referencing uh, the third person of the Trinity. And uh, it's not that I'm trying to bring it back or be trendy or retro or anything like that. It's just, I'll just be honest with you, I just felt like that's the way we needed to go. But we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit. For the next 12 weeks, we are going to be reintroduced or introduced for the first time to the third person, third person, excuse me, the third person of the Trinity. Many folks, uh, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is, is barely a blip on our, on our spiritual radar. Um, he's never, he's never really highlighted. Um, we don't, we don't refer to him. We, we recognize him when we say things like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he really is the most overlooked aspect of the Trinity. You know, the, the Father, he has this, uh, this great role of, of sending the Son to die in our place. The Son, Jesus, uh, dies on the cross in our place for our sins to give us life. And he promises to not leave us alone. He promises to not leave us as orphans. He promises to uh, send another, to send a comforter to us, to be with us forever. And, and altogether, this Holy Spirit is, is not just a spirit. He's not just a, a, a lesser God. He's, he's God. Um, and so for, for 12 weeks, we're going to look at different attributes of the Holy Spirit so that we might better know him and and how to rely upon him. Most folks are under the misconception that once you get saved, you know, you give your life to Jesus, you repent of your sins, you accept the offer of grace, you, you want to live for him, life has changed. They fail to recognize that that moment right there is actually a work of the Holy Spirit on them already. That what has begun in them is this activation, of you will, of the Holy Spirit. You're being born again by the Spirit of God. 
And from that moment on, the Holy Spirit will not leave you. The Holy Spirit will not abandon you. The Holy Spirit is there to actually empower you to do the things that you will read about in God's Word. He will be there to, to give you understanding of God's Word. Where you have those moments where you're like, oh, I get this now. It's the Holy Spirit revealing that truth to you, enlightening you, if you will. It's a kind of a new agey term, but it kind of kind of works to be enlightened or awakened to God's word. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. So going, you know, trying to do two sermon series at one time, we'll first look at the questions that were asked about the Holy Spirit. We'll we'll look at the the first uh aspect of the Holy Spirit and his purpose in our lives. And then at the end, we'll end with, with some questions, some Q&A. Um, last week, I had the kids come in for Q&A, and they loved it. Apparently, they loved being here while we were asking questions and having questions answered. So if you think the children aren't listening, well, you are wrong. They are very much listening. So here are the questions. There were two asked, and they're very important. The first is this. How do you feel about dancing in uh, church during worship? Number two, how do you know when you are making the choice Jesus wants? How do you know when you are getting a sign uh, for an answer or a sign or an answer? Um, both of these go back to the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, the Holy Spirit is generally uh, thrown into just a certain, um, like a list of goofy things that people do in church. Um, you'll have folks that will We'll talk about being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and what that usually means is they have spoken in tongues, maybe given a prophetic word, and then, and then sometimes during the rest of the week they don't live very holy. And so one of the truths we're going to find out throughout this course is that if, if you are filled with, indeed with the Holy Spirit of God, it will trans, translate into holy living for God every day. The, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life will come in many forms and different uh, evidences, um, but one of the chief evidences is that you're, you are pursuing holiness, that you are pursue, pursuing uh, God's righteousness. Not just a holiness that we can put on ourselves, but a holiness that's produced simply by the Holy Spirit being in us. So who is... The Holy Spirit. That's the first question we're going to try to answer today. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> if you start the Bible at the beginning, you are introduced to God immediately, and just right after, you are introduced to the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1. If you don't know where it is, read your Bible more. Genesis is the first book. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Real quick side note, the Bible never never really takes the position of trying to convince you that God exists. The Bible simply states that he does, and this is what he has done, and this is what he is doing, and this is what he will do. It's no different in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So before God spoke creation into existence, this world looked different than it does now. Some folks get a little too scientific about chapter 1 of the book of Genesis, and that's okay. 
um, we just want to read it and we want to take God at his word. That this world looked different than it does now. It was, it was without form. It was void. If you, if you look at the Hebrew word for uh, the face of the waters, the water, some translations say over the deep, this, this word is not pure, clean water. It's actually dead, murky, awful, polluted water. That there was something going on with this planet that did not produce life, did not produce anything. Um, as we talked about a couple questions ago, this is where a lot of people insert the gap theory. Not a big fan of the gap theory, but that's kind of where this comes into play. Um, it says that in this world that was without form and void, the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. The Holy Spirit was there and present, ready to, to move as God the Father spoke. From there on out, we are, we are told of the Holy Spirit throughout all of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We are told about how he is the Spirit of the living God. He's referred to as uh, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, um, the Spirit of righteousness. He, he's referred to over and over and over and over again. Now, now the Holy Spirit, as I said before, is not just, um, as some people relate, they, they refer to him sort of like they would a dog. I command and the dog goes and does stuff. Um, the Holy Spirit is not like that. He's not, we are not the master of him. As a matter of fact, he is, he is the one leading us. And when you have the, the cart before the ox, life gets really hard. But when you have the cart behind the ox in the order that it's supposed to be, that we are not the masters of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is the masters of us, life goes a lot differently. And life gets not, not necessarily easier, but you're not butting your head up against a brick wall day to day. So some of the attributes that God the Father and God the Son has, the Holy Spirit has as well. Here they are. There's four of them. The first is omnipotence. Uh, these words all start with the word omni. It means all. It means all-inclusive. Omnipotence means all-powerful. Because he is God, the Holy Spirit is all-powerful. There is no one more powerful than him. There is no power on earth that is wielded, that can match the power that the Holy Spirit has. All that we do, when you, when you follow Christ, when you are trying to love like Christ and serve like Christ, you do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you've ever attempted to do that before knowing Christ, um, that could be really difficult. And, and notice that as we are given the Holy Spirit, if, if we are spirit-filled Christians, there must be a marked difference in us. Sort of a side note, but, but let's put it this way. There are people in this world who have claimed that the Holy Spirit has done something for them, and I don't doubt that. But sometimes it's, it's, a, it's something that can happen in the world as well. Take something like uh, the overcoming of drug addiction. Okay? There are people in this world who have overcome drug addiction without being Christians. There are very, very giving, loving people who are not Christians. You look at a man like Ted Turner, who is a self-proclaimed atheist. Um, I remember about 10 years ago, he, he, he made this, uh, this challenge to the other billionaires of the world. I'm going to give $1 billion to charity. Okay, that's, that's very kind. To give that much money to nonprofit organizations to help cure diseases and, and to, to help uh, 
people and places that are, 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 are you know, just suffering. So we have to understand that being filled with the Holy Spirit looks different than that. When we are compassionate, when we are loving, when we are giving, when we are serving, there's a marked difference because it's not just our own power, it's the power of God. If you go to the book of Exodus, when you have the, uh, the beginning of, of Moses and the people leaving uh, Egypt, you have Moses standing up before Pharaoh saying, let my people go, you know, all that. And he throws down his staff and it turns into a snake. And the magicians that worked for the Pharaoh said, oh yeah, we can do that. And they did the same. But while they may have looked the same, the staff of Moses that had turned into a snake swallowed up the snakes that the magicians had produced. And eventually, while, while at the beginning the, the, the magicians tried to keep up and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Moses through the Holy Spirit, Moses began to do things through the power of God that they could not reproduce. Turning water to blood, reproducing, you know, having frogs at the land, boils upon the people, and, and eventually it culminates with the death of the firstborn male of every Egyptian family. You see, there's got to be a marked difference. Once the Holy Spirit, once God himself is involved, there will be a difference in what, what we do and what it looks like. Our love will exceed the love of the world. Our giving will exceed the giving of the world. Now, I don't mean monetarily. I don't mean we'll give more dollars. If you go to Jesus being at the temple and everybody giving, this this little widow comes up and she gives two mites. It's, it's roughly about a quarter of a penny or half a penny. And that's what impressed the Lord. That's the one he pointed out as the example to the, to the, uh, to the disciples. Look at her. She's giving everything she has. She's not giving out of her abundance like all these other bozos. She's giving out of the, the, the very essence of who she is. She's giving all the money she has. We talk about giving our tithes and giving our 10%. She was giving everything. She had these two copper coins. That's all she had. Her, her giving was sacrificial, and that's what marked her difference to the rest of the people in the room giving all kinds of money. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent, all-powerful. Number two, the, the Holy Spirit is omniscient. He is all-knowing. That means there's no thought or, or, or intent of our heart that the Holy Spirit does not already know. There's no part of our heart um, that is, uh, you know, it's not like the Holy Spirit is Superman, and if you just line your heart with lead, he can't see through it. No, the Holy Spirit can see the deepest, darkest recesses of your heart, the intent of who you are. He knows what you are thinking and why you are thinking it. He is omniscient, all-knowing. He knows past things, present things, and future things. There is no hiding uh, from the knowledge and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, for he is all-knowing. He is omnipresent, everywhere, all the time. A lot of people attribute this, this uh, character characteristic to Satan. Satan is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere, all of the time. If you are being attacked demonically, I guarantee you it's probably not Satan. Because he's got bigger fish to fry than you know us. And, but it could be something demonic or, or, or satanic coming after you, but probably not Satan himself, for he is not omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit can be in you and in me at the same time. The Holy Spirit is halfway around the world and right here in Canastota, New York at the same time. 
This attribute is found in God and God alone. It's not found in the angels. It's not found in the demons. It's not found in us. We cannot be anywhere and everywhere all at the same time. If I am here, I cannot be there and vice versa. But the Holy Spirit, being God, can and does. So the same Holy Spirit that's leading this church is the same Holy Spirit leading the church down the street or the church in California or the church in Mexico or the church in Russia. That same Holy Spirit is leading us because he is omnipresent. And last is omnibenevolent. He is all good all of the time. Now we are good some of the time, right? Not all of the time. You know, sometimes, you know, there's days that happen like, wow, I wish I could have that one back, have a do-over. But God is good all the time. There's that cliche. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Not a big fan of cliches, but it's true. God is good all the time. And because the Holy Spirit is God, he is all good all the time. That's a very brief introduction into who the Holy Spirit is. Certainly we can spend a lot more time than that. But in the interest of time, we're going to move on. And these are the, the, 12, the 12 attributes of the Holy Spirit we're going to study over the next 12 weeks. That will lead us right up to Palm Sunday, which if you're a Christian and you measure your, your year uh, by Easter and Christmas, Christmas just passed. Easter is roughly 12 or 13 weeks away. So number one, the Holy Spirit's purpose is to lead us. That's what we're going to talk about today to direct us in following Jesus and being like him. To call. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to call. There are people that, that the Holy Spirit calls to be in positions of leadership. And as humans, we naturally want to be leaders or in control, I should say. And Jesus has, through the Holy Spirit, called men and women and groups and churches to be specific leaders in our church. And we're going we're gonna to study what that means if we are called or, or, or what we are called to do, the Holy Spirit's purpose is to show, to reveal to us the things of Christ. There are a lot of people who look at Jesus and say, wow, what a great teacher. They look at Jesus and say, what a, what a great example of, of giving or, or of loving immensely. But they don't see Jesus as their Savior. To see Jesus as your Savior, it is a work of the Holy Spirit opening you, making you aware, awakening you to that truth. You may have, before the day of your salvation, known Jesus was a Savior for quite some time. But the moment where he became your Savior was a day of rebirth. It was a day of being born again. And it takes the Holy Spirit to open us up to that, to, to reveal us, to, to reveal that to us, to show us that. It is the Holy Spirit's job, or it's part of his purpose, to teach us. As, as, a, as a teacher in the church, I take great comfort in the fact that when you learn something about Jesus through his word on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, I had very little to do with it. As a matter of fact, I probably do more work in the opposite direction than what the Holy Spirit does in five seconds on a Sunday morning. Have folks come after me afterwards. This is what the Lord told me. I, I don't understand what they're saying. Uh, honestly, you'll tell me things that you heard that I didn't say, and I attribute that to the Holy Spirit. The Lord brings up things in you as the teaching progresses. That's the Holy Spirit doing that in you. 
to equip. This is a big one because we we often are like soldiers who go off without our weapons or without our covering or without our, our troop. We, we just go off thinking, okay, we're saved and we just got to do all this stuff. And we forget that it's the Holy Spirit that equips us to do the good work that Jesus has called us to do. You read the Gospels, you read about how Jesus went and did things full of the Holy Spirit. The very Son of God who emptied himself relied upon the same Holy Spirit that we rely upon as well. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to equip us, to bear witness. If you've ever had that moment where you say to yourself, oh man, I have to share Jesus with these people right now. It's just gotten to that moment and you have that that butterfly feeling in your stomach and it's that moment where, oh, okay, I'm going to say stuff. I've never done this before. What are they going to say? They're going to think I'm an idiot. I'm not going to say the right things. They're not going to love Jesus. It's all going to be my fault. Okay, maybe that's just me. But that's sort of what goes on in my head when it's time to share the gospel. It's it's the purpose of the Holy Spirit to to empower us to bear witness to be able to proclaim the gospel, whether it's to a group like this or to an individual who's sitting down having coffee with you or who's broken in front of you and crying because their life is in shambles. When that moment comes to actually share the gospel, it's not, a, it's not, it's not you who will be doing it. It will be the Holy Spirit through you. You'll remember and recall things that you don't know where they came from, but man, the Holy Spirit got in there and dug it out and, and reminded you of it and you were able to share it. To do, to do. The Bible says that we as individuals and as a group, as a church, will do greater works than Jesus did. We won't do those works simply because we are people or that we're really great. We'll do these greater works because we have the Spirit of God living in us. We will be able to love greater than the world. We'll be able to sacrifice greater than the world because we have He who empowered Jesus to do the very same thing in us. He will empower us to do, or he will, he will do through us. Number nine will be a popular Sunday. He, he comes to convict. Conviction, not the most popular topic. But when we have sin in our life, um, I can call you out on it, and often I do through sermons and, and just through, through um, one-on-one counseling. They'll come and tell me, I, you know, I'm doing this. So, okay, I don't. You know, you shouldn't really be doing that because of what the Word of God says and, and the righteousness of God. And that's, that's not really something that a Christian should do. But the place where it moves from pride to conviction, that rests in the Holy Spirit. When someone gives their life to Jesus because they realize they are a sinner, it's not because I've convinced them they're a sinner. It's because the Holy Spirit has revealed to them their sin. They have convicted that he has convicted them of their sin. He has convicted you of your sin. And if you've ever gone through that process of conviction, where, where you one moment you're you're fine with everything, and then the Holy Spirit just says, Hey, what about this? It's like a ton of bricks is, is dropped on your head, and you realize, oh man, I can't hide from this, I can't unhear this, I have to confront this, I have to repent of this. It's not fun. But without it, we don't find forgiveness. Because if we don't see it as sin, we don't ask for forgiveness for it. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us. 
We need the Holy Spirit to tell us what we are doing is wrong or not. We need his leading and direction in that. Holy Spirit's purpose is to give. And this is uh, this will be one where we have to unpack and, re- and reestablish a lot of what the Holy Spirit gives to us as, as followers of Christ. And so, so many times the gifts of the Holy Spirit are celebrated more than the giver of the gifts. Does that make sense? So many people are so so bent on pursuing the gifts that they overlook who's giving them. And often they find themselves in folly because they are given these gifts, but the person giving them is not the Holy Spirit. And they find themselves worse off than when they first began. To seal. This one's kind of a, a churchy topic. You know, this is one that you don't talk about a lot outside of probably here, but that's okay because the Holy Spirit has come to seal us. Um, how many people like to grill? Love to grill. Love grilling. Um, how many people like to grill steak? Yeah, man, steak is good. One of the things you have to do for a good steak right off the bat is sear it, right? You, you get it. You get the top and the bottom. You get that that like protective layer that protects the inside of the meat, and you seal it off. But nothing comes out. Nothing else goes in. It just it establishes the steak. You seal it. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit so that no other spirit enters, so that we are protected from not only the inside out, but the outside in. Not only are we sealed for our protection, we're sealed as a promise. If you've ever, um, you know, nobody does this nowadays, but you can, you know, in the biblical times, you would take a letter that you were going to send, you would take a scroll and you would melt wax on it. And then you would you would impress upon it your your ring or your stamp to seal it to show who it belonged to and who it was coming from. You know, it would be your family crest, it would be your your initials, it would be something that represents you. We have in that same way been sealed by God through his Holy Spirit. We now belong to God. When we are confronted by the world or sin or Satan, we have that on us. To show who we belong to so that they know who they're messing with and who we who we belong to. And lastly, and this will this to me, if we did only one thing, if we only had only had one of these sermons, it would be this one, and that's to comfort. A handful of people in this room today, and I guarantee you, if we sat down and started talking about every pain that we have physical, emotional, psychological, from our past, fear of the future, we would be here all day, well into the night and into tomorrow, just sharing and conveying the different things that cause fear in us, that cause us to cry, that cause us to lie awake at night, that cause us to to question our salvation, to question our our genuineness, our, our authenticity, to question everything about life. And we, we, we need to be reminded that God the Holy Spirit is here as a comforter. When Jesus said that he was going to send the comforter to us, it wasn't just a fancy name for the Holy Spirit. It was the very fact that the Holy Spirit would indeed comfort us. 
You know, I'm a big fan of comfort food. Anybody else come? A lot of food references today. I'm sorry. I'm starting a diet today. So what are you going to do? Comfort food is that type of food that you eat and it reminds you of something. It comforts you. Maybe it's something that your mom used to make when you were a kid. Maybe it's just all-American, you know, roast beef and mashed potatoes, something like that. It's just something that brings a warmth to you. It's fleeting. It's superficial. It's, it, it, it ends after you're, you're hungry again. But the Holy Spirit is completely different. He is there to comfort us every day. And there are far too many Christians. See, the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in the world. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside Christians. And there are far too many Christians that walk around being victims being being identified by what they've gone through rather than calling upon the comfort of the Holy Spirit to be healed of the things that they've gone through. So today, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's purpose to lead us. Turn to Romans chapter 8 verse 14. The good news, going back to this question about how do we know when we are doing what Jesus wants. The Holy Spirit's purpose, one of his purposes, is to lead us, to guide us and to, to direct us. I hope by the end of this sermon that you will be able to better discern what the Lord wants you to do in your life. How to, how to be a mom, how to be a dad, how to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to be single, how to serve in the church, how to be a better employee, how to be a better son or daughter, and how to just be a better overall representation of Christ in the world. Before the world ever opens the Bible, before the world ever goes to church, they see you. They see your example. They see you at work, at Lowe's, at this place, at that place, and they see how you act based upon your faith. And many a person has been turned away from Christianity because the Christians that supposedly follow Christ don't act a lot like Christ. They haven't been changed. They, they've adopted this position of religion, but have not been changed by Jesus because they have not met him. They have not been convicted of their sin. All that has come in is pride. And there's nothing more ugly than pride. And so we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. But how do we do that? Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. The, the, the word there, sons, is, is both sons and daughters. It just depends on the translation you have, what it actually says. It's the children of God. So, you know, if you're a feminist, don't come beat me up after church. Um, all who are led by the Spirit are the sons. The sons of God are the ones, or the children of God are the ones who are led by the Spirit of God. If you've ever thought to yourself, if you've ever watched the world and thought to yourself, how could they do that? Don't they know that's wrong? They may not. They are not led by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are certain things. You see a guy on TV, and he's killed uh, his mom or his parents or his children or his wife. You'd say, you know what? He probably knew that he doesn't take the Holy Spirit to know that was wrong. Okay? But you see folks who celebrate sin and, and exalt it. You would think, don't they know that that's wrong? Well, they're not led by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you see Christians that are doing those things, you could question that. Because, wait a minute, aren't they being led by the Holy Spirit? Maybe, maybe they are not. 
Maybe they aren't the Christians you think that they are. The purpose of this first verse is to remind us that if you are a child of God, that if you have become a child of God, not simply because you have wanted to or you were convinced, but you have, you have answered the call of God, you have, you have repented of your sin as you have received his grace, that you recognize that Jesus is not just a Savior, but the Savior, and he has come into your life and you just can't shake him anymore. You just can't not think about him anymore. You can't not think about his word, and you can't not get away from him anymore. Then you are a child of God, and the Holy Spirit has come to lead you. Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. He contrasts that with walking in the flesh. That people who walk under the power of the flesh, of, of, of our own sinful nature, that we produce in us a certain things, uh, uh, certain things. That there are certain things that we do as the flesh is in control. Idolatry, pride, envy, murder, strife, division. But if you walk by the Spirit, if you walk under the power of the Holy Spirit of God, if you are led and directed by Him, you produce love, patience, kindness, peace, joy. It's all on the wall over there. I don't remember them all. We have a fruit of the spirit wall. Like every church, we have one. You can go look at that. Um, that these are the things that are produced in us as we are led by the Holy Spirit. So, read Galatians chapter 5. That's your homework for the week. But how can we know, how can we know that what we are feeling is the leading of the Holy Spirit and not something else? I've had tons of people come to me. Holy Spirit has told me to tell you. The Holy Spirit has impressed upon me to tell you, to, to do this for you, blah, 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 blah. And sometimes I walk away saying, you know what, I think that that was true. And there's other times where I say, you know what, that person has a very good imagination. That person... um was maybe compelled to do that by their own will, but I don't believe that to be of the Holy Spirit. And there are times where I'm conflicted in me, like there's things I feel I need to do, but is that something God wants me to do? Or is that something that I just want to do? And I'm trying to dress it up in, in religious clothing so that I have permission to do it. So, it's, so you see, as Christians, we can't just... We can't be really fake with ourselves. We've got to be really honest with ourselves. We have to just call things what they are. We've got to look at them in black and white and say, am I just being prideful or am I actually being led by the Holy Spirit? There are tons of people who try to justify what they do because, oh, the Spirit told me to. Really? The Spirit told you to you know, betray somebody or to neglect somebody or to not love somebody? The Spirit of God told you not to love somebody? That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, they're your enemies. Jesus said to pray for your enemies. There's still love involved there. Sure, you're not hugging them 24 hours a day, but that's not what love is. That's not what biblical love is. So how can we know when the Holy Spirit is leading us? And it's not just our own instinct. It's not just our own compulsion. It's not even just our conscience. It's not our pride. It's not sin. The Word of God. The Word of God. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Hopefully this will answer our first question, which is, how do you feel about uh, dancing in the church during worship? You guys are all bottled up when it comes to worship. You ever notice that? 
you guys are I'm not poking fun at you. I'm not the most expressive when it comes to worship. Like there are some people, you've probably seen them, they're like down on their knees, they're waving flags. I mean, they're just a big hot mess during worship. But for us, we're all we're all buttoned down and all polite about worship. And uh you know, a, a bad pastor would tell you, you gotta change that. A good pastor says, you know what? Express yourself in worship. If that's raising one hand, great. You know, that's better than not raising a hand at all. To say it's wrong if you don't do two, that's bad pastor. Good pastor says, if you want to raise one hand, raise one hand. I do want there to be this, this release, if you will, to allow you to engage and to explore and to experiment. There's been tons of times where I've gone to worship and I've done something and thought, that's, that's dumb. That's not me. I don't, I don't do that type. That's just not me expressing myself. That's just me trying something on, and I'm never going to do that again. But there's other times where I, I just say, you know what? This is what, this is how I want to express to Jesus that I worship him, that I love him. I'm going to raise both hands. I'm going to do one of these like I'm carrying a television. I'm going to do one of these where like I'm trying to hug a really big tree. Like I'm going to do all these different, I'm going to do this because this is what I feel like right now. If you've ever been to a ultra hardcore Pentecostal church worship service, you could lose an eye because you got people with flags and you're getting hit in the head. And it's like, ah, like what was that all about? People are slapping you and running around in circles around the church. And, 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 and well, seems like two extremes, doesn't it? It seems like you either go to a church where everybody just is barely standing to one of those types of services where, you know, you could pull a calf. You got so where's the where's the balance in this? You got to understand that there the same the same inhibitions that hold us back from worship are sometimes the the equal to the wrong choices in expressing in ways that is disrespectful and dishonoring of the Lord and disruptive of a church service. So, so for this person who asked can you dance in church? I think that it's pretty plain throughout the scriptures that some folks, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, when they're so just overflowing with this, this, this realization of who God is and, and what he has done and the power we've been given, that it overwhelms us. And some of us just, you just got to dance. Not me, of course, but some of you, you just want to, you just want to dance. My daughter, my children, they love to dance because that's how they express themselves. They show joy through dancing. They show joy through and happiness and peace through, through these actions that they have. Is it okay to dance? Absolutely it's okay to dance. As long as you're not knocking people over in the name of Jesus. You know, somebody goes home with a broken hip, I'm going to say, you know what? That might not have been the Holy Spirit. Um, when it comes to expressive worship... It goes back to the Word of God. How have we seen the Holy Spirit fill people, and how has that come out? We see David dancing before the Lord, dancing like crazy. If you read it in certain translations, he's basically in his underwear, like like Tom Cruise in Risky Business, just dancing his heart out before the Lord. And his wife gets mad, and she gets all embarrassed by him. And he says, just to paraphrase to something, if you think this is undignified, I will become even more undignified than this because I am dancing before the Lord. David wasn't hitting people. David wasn't plowing people over. He was just dancing before the Lord. There are times where the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It is so overwhelming. The Bible says it's like you drop like you were dead. Just boom. 
Now, not everybody goes through that. I've seen crazy videos on the internet of guys waving their coats and doing like the, the, the Ryu Street Fighter thing and people being plowed over. Half of you don't know what I just said, but it's okay. They, and people are just falling all over the place. That's not the Holy Spirit. But the Bible is plain. You see John in the book of Revelation. You see Daniel in his book. The Holy Spirit confronted by the power of God and boom, it's like they're dead. You just lose. It's like it's like short circuiting. You're just so overwhelmed by the power of God that everything else stops working. And you just fall down, and the Lord picks you back up. He, he does. I don't know what he does. He does something behind the scenes we don't see that allows you to come back up in your own power. But when I see people slain in the spirit and then they don't love their brothers, I doubt the authenticity of being slain. When I see people who are slain in the spirit and they don't love Jesus or his word or his church, I, I, I doubt the authenticity of that, that action or of that expression. So it comes down to um, expressing yourself while not being disruptive at the same time. You know, flag worship is, is sort of a big deal nowadays. I'm not against it, but I know the dangers that come with it because they're pointy. And some people start waving them and they forget where they are. And I get it. They're expressing their love and all of that. And, and personally, I'm, I don't use flags all that much. But some people do, and that's okay as long as people aren't losing eyes, as long as people aren't getting hit in the back of the head in the name of Jesus. As long as you can uh, – as long as the order of a church service is contained, that you don't become the spectacle or the focus – or the main reason why people are there and what they're thinking about. When you start to steal away from the glory of God, then we have a problem. And so we have to just keep that in check. First, uh, excuse me, Second Timothy, chapter three says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good." work when when adam came alive the spirit of god was breathed into him okay when when <clears throat> when you read the bible and you learn about the holy spirit he he is compared to things like the wind the the, the spirit of god will not compel you to do what the word of god has not already proclaimed so one of the the big movements nowadays it's an extension of of the word faith movement it's it's ultra faith and so you have folks who in a church service bark like dogs and and cluck like chickens and and call upon their spirit animal and and, and dance like like people you see in new age faiths and they call it the holy spirit and i go back to the word of god and say i don't see that anywhere i see that god has given us a voice and and if he gives us anything it's an angelic voice where we where we speak in tongues things that we don't understand but the spirit does ultra faith where you can't say a certain word or you might get sick completely hogwash called ultra faith and it it it, it generally contradicts what the word of god already says what it amounts to being is is people having a low position of god in the bible God gave us a good start with the word, but now we've got to build upon it. We've got to establish our own rules and legalisms to get us closer to God. Church, if you have Jesus, you can't get any closer to God. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, if you have given your life to Jesus, you cannot get any closer. You cannot get any better. Or, or I should say you, should, you can't get any more righteous before God. 
if you wake up today and you fail, God can't God can already loves you immensely. If you wake up tomorrow and you do a lot better, you already have all of God's love. You can't you can't win him over anymore. Any more than you already have through giving your life to Jesus. The Spirit of God is is the agent in which the Bible was written. So for him to to say in one breath, no pun intended, don't do this, but then in this breath, that's all right. Or or that you can express yourself this way, and this is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but no, we think it's this way, contradict each other. And I'm going to go back to the Word of God. I'm going to go back to that which has already been established. If the Word of God was in the beginning, was with God, and is God, I'm going to stick with the Word of God. In Acts chapter 17, there are these people from a place called Berea. They are known as the Bereans. They hear Paul preach. The first thing they do, they go back to the Word of God. They go back to the Scriptures to make sure that everything that Paul said was so. They heard the gospel message, and they wanted to make sure that this message that they heard was indeed from God. So they went back to the scriptures. They studied. They were probably the first Bible nerds. They were the ones that went back, and they looked, and they cross-referenced and said, You know what? This guy, Paul, he is preaching to us the truth. If you want to know what somebody is saying, is whether it's the truth or not, go back to the word of God. Don't just make sure that they've quoted the scripture correctly. Make sure they've used it in context. Make sure it doesn't contradict other parts of the Bible. Make sure that their teaching is, is built on a foundation of the Word of God and not all built upon application hoping to reach the Word of God. When it comes to preparing a sermon, it's like building a pyramid. You start with the Word of God as your foundation and you build up to application. Because if you can get to the top, if you can get to application on a solid foundation, that thing's not going anywhere. But a lot of preachers, they do it upside down. They start with the application, the pointy side of the triangle or the pyramid, and then build their way up. They build their whole sermon upon upon something faulty. And if you ask the right question, that thing comes tumbling down. And so you gotta just you gotta be unafraid to ask the right question. You listen to a sermon or a preacher on TV or the radio, ask the right question, and you'll be led to the truth. Play it through to its logical end. Okay, if I if I were to follow this, where would I end up? If I were to do this step by step, do I end up where they say, or do I end up someplace else? Follow it through to its logical end. The Bereans did that, and they were called honorable. A lot of folks in the Bible, not called honorable. A lot of people in the Bible pointed out for their sin. But the Bereans were called honorable, but because they pursued God through his word. So can you dance? Yes. You knock somebody over, we're going to have a talk. But if you want to dance, that's fine. Okay? You know, I'm not big on running around the church just because there's other people that you could knock over and hurt. And, and sometimes people want to run around so that they're seen rather than express themselves. You know? So I, I call a lot of that into question. And we can always talk about these things outside of a Sunday morning sermon. Pastor Tony, this is what I felt like last week. Can you help me out? Is that, is that something I should do or shouldn't do? And I'm not going to become the referee of your life, but I can encourage you. I can give you scriptures to go back to, and we can talk about it. 
to make sure that that you're being compelled by the Holy Spirit, being led by him rather than just your own flesh. Okay. Second question, how do you know when you are making the choice Jesus wants? How do you know when you are getting a sign or an answer? First off, whoever asks this question um, is already in a good place because they want what Jesus wants. And one of the greatest evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you begin to want what Jesus wants. You know, missionaries go halfway across the world to places very much unlike our own country, not because it's a great vacation spot, but because they want what Jesus wants, and Jesus wants the gospel preached, so they're willing to go and do that because that's what Jesus wants. Many of you will do things or not do things, not because they, they, they fit well into your life or because they're all that attractive, but it's because it's what Jesus wants for you. And so you do it, and you do so willingly, and you do so with a smile on your face because you love Jesus. But how can you know? Often in the, uh, in the Bible and just in practical everyday life, we go off blindly. We just God is seemingly silent. What should I do? I have two options, A and B. What do I do? Is there a third option I just don't see? And you hear nothing. So I'll tell you my four-step plan that I should turn into a book, but I'm not going to. Pray, plan, or excuse me, pray, plan, prepare, proceed, repeat. It was five. And I couldn't find a word that started with P for repeat, so you just have to capitalize the P and repeat. So pray, plan, prepare, proceed, repeat. In Acts chapter 16, you have Paul. He, he, he's, he's been converted. He loves Jesus. He's going to preach the gospel. And he's, he's gonna, he wants to go everywhere and anywhere. He's just what we would call on fire for Christ. And so he starts going different places, and he starts finding that the Holy Spirit is forbidding him. Forbidding him from going certain places. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And they, Paul and some companions, went through the region of Phrygia, and I'm probably saying that wrong, but that's okay, and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia find that interesting because we would think that if we're going to preach the gospel somewhere, that God just opens up the door anywhere. No, there was a specific time and place that Paul needed to go, and he was forbidden from going to Asia. What did that look like? Did, was it literally doors were closed? Were the airports closed? We don't know. We just know that somehow Paul knew Asia is off limits right now. And so they ended up going to Phrygia and Galatia. Verse 7 says, And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, once again, they wanted to go a certain direction, and the Holy Spirit said no. And somehow they knew we can't go that way. Sometimes it's circumstance. You go to try to do something, and, and everything and everything comes in between you and that, and you just decide, you know what, maybe that's not the time for me to do this. Was Paul trying to do a bad thing? No. I wanted to preach the gospel to more people. Hey, there's people over there. I can tell them about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, no, not now. Verse 8 says, So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And when a vision appeared to Paul in the night, uh, or, excuse me, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10 and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
in this we see two things. We see the trial and error, the plan, proceed, prepare, blah, 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 blah. And then over here you see an actual supernatural act of God where in a vision of the night, Paul is given directions on where to go. Go to Macedonia. See, it can be both. It's not either or. It's not we walk blindly. It's not that God always tells you which direction to go. It's both. I spent many of my years as a pastor um, simply saying, well, until God tells me to go, I'm staying right here. And that's not a bad plan all the time. But I learned that there are times where you do have to take a step out in faith so that the door can close if that's not the direction you're supposed to go. So going back to pray, plan, prepare, proceed, repeat, Proverbs 16 and 9 says, The heart of man plan, plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We make plans all day long. My wife is the planner of our family. She's always making plans. Plans for the plans. There's always plans. And I'm the kind of guy who's like, let's just see what happens. Okay? We, we balance each other out will, real well like that. But what I've learned through Proverbs uh, chapter 16, verse 9, is that all the plans that I can make are good and I should make plans. But the plans I'm going to make need to be submitted to the Lord, and he will direct my steps as I go forward. If I, if I decide to go left and he wants me to go right, he'll correct me, and we will go right. That when, I am, when it's not an option between sin and not sin, when it's an option between A and B, they're both good, and I just want to know which direction to go, if I go the wrong way, God will direct me back to his path. So the first thing that I always do when it comes to a, a decision is pray should seem obvious. God, I'm not smart like you, and you see much more than me. Please help me. I need to make a plan. I don't know what to do. Let me give you a really good practical example. When Ethan was first diagnosed with leukemia, he went through this phase called induction. And then after induction, we had to decide which arm of treatment he was going to take, and there was four options. And they were all really similar, but they were all different, and we had to decide A, B, C, or D. Um, and we didn't know what to do. And we just thought, well, we don't want any of them. Like, is that an option? Can we not have any of these arms? Like, what do we do? And we talked to some friends, and they said, you know, there's an option where you can – it's sort of like a lottery, if you will, where they randomly select a, a path. And we thought, you know – at this point, we don't know what to do. So we're going to pray. And we began to pray about it. Um, if you have a big decision that you need to make, start by praying. Talk to the Lord. Lord, these are the options in front of me. I don't know what to do. I don't know if it's if I should stick with this job or get a new job. I, I don't know if I should um, you know, take on this debt or not take on this debt. I don't know if I should pursue this relationship or, or not pursue this relationship. Or should I remain friends with these folks or, or should I just love them from a distance? Should I go to this church or not go to this church? Should I listen to this preacher or pastor or should I not listen to this? Should I read this book or not this book? These are, these are all big decisions. So we start off by praying, Lord, what do I do? And then unless you have some audible voice or you have this vision like Paul did, you need to move forward in the next phase and you need to plan. Like I said, I'm not a planner. My wife loves to plan. We balance each other out and we establish a plan. Okay, here's our options. We are going to choose option B. We're going to pursue B in this manner 
And that is the plan. And then we submit that to the Lord through prayer again. Lord, this is what we're going to do. And if it's wrong, please correct it. Please change it. We wrote it all down in pencil. You hold the pen. Help us. We plan. Then we prepare. In the book of Nehemiah, um, Nehemiah wants to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city that was destroyed when it was attacked by the Babylonians. It's his hometown. You know, if you have a hometown, you've ever gone back to a hometown, and you see it not like you remember. You know, there's a compassion there. There's this this purpose to want to bring it back to its glory. Well, well, Nehemiah saw Jerusalem as this place of the glory of God, and he he wanted to restore that. Problem was, he had a job. He was a he was a cupbearer to the king. So every day he stood by the king, tasting the king's food and drink, so that if the king was poisoned, he would die first. Well. It's a pretty high-profile job, but it's got a lot of danger. Um, but what he did from the time uh, that he had this, this laid on his heart to when he actually got to do it, he began to prepare. He began to scribble notes. This is how much wood it would take me. This is how much stone it would take This is how many men it would take me. He had all these charts and figures and scraps of paper and just all these plans. I, I just imagine this big wall in his room with all kinds of paper everywhere and, and lines drawn. And this is how we get this done. You know, where, where the actual wood was located, where he could get it from, how many favors he would need from this person to get that done, how much time it would take him, how much of his own sacrifice it would take, he prepared. If you don't know what to do, that doesn't stop you from preparing, from being ready for the time where God says go or stay or whatever. Preparation is something that you can do. As you plan, you can then proceed to uh, preparing and then you can go into proceeding, going forward. Okay, I've planned, I've prepared, I've prayed, and there's still nothing I'm going to move for. I'm going to take that first step. You're going to be like, Paul, I, I want to go preach. I want to take the gospel. Here's who's going with me. This is the direction I'm going. And either the door will be open or the door will be shut. A bad response is crying because the door was shut. I mean like tantrum crying. Good response is, thank you for closing that door. And then repeat, go back to square one. I'm going to pray, I'm going to plan, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to proceed until you find that door or until you have that plain direction, yes or no, left or right. These are the ways that we can determine whether or not God is with us in something or he is not. If it's sin, the answer is always no. God, should I cheat on my wife? Like, you go to God with that one. Like, you... You, you got to go back to school. You got to go back to kindergarten Christianity. You should know right away. The answer for that one is no. Every day, all the time. No, you should not cheat on your wife. Um, should I lie to keep my job? No, you should be honest and have integrity and all that. And if you should be fired for lying, I think there's far worse things that could happen to you. But when it's an issue of of A or B, and, and they both, it seems like either one is is going to have its costs and it's going to have its benefits it would behoove us to pray plan proceed prepare proceed repeat and then you will know the will of the lord now he may vi he may vi visit you in a vision a dream i had a dream last night i it might be a prophecy about the super bowl i'm not sure but Dallas won, so I know that's not right. But Dallas beat the Colts, and they got like 100 points. It was a nightmare. 
Ben's a Packers fan, so he doesn't like that dream. Um, I don't really think that that was a prophecy. Um, but could God visit you in a dream? More often than not, in the Bible, God visits people in dreams. Men like Joseph and uh, Joseph the first one in Genesis and Joseph the, the, the stepdad of Jesus and, and different ones. He visited, visited them in dreams. Do this. Go here. Don't do that. It's not outside the realm of possibilities. It's totally a thing that could happen. But you have to weigh that against the Word of God. So now um, we're going to do some Q&A. First we're going to pray. And then if you want to ask questions, we'll take a few minutes. We finished up a little bit early. All things considered, doing two sermon series in one day, that's pretty good. But let's pray. Pray that um, if you are not a Christian today, the the leading of the Holy Spirit is not it's not something you can call upon. But if you are a Christian today, it's absolutely something that you have been given through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You have been given the Holy Spirit of God to be led, to be directed by each and every day of your life. And if you don't have that today, I want to pray with you. Okay, so let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads, let's pray. Jesus, we would be lost and we would be nothing without your Holy Spirit. We thank you that your own words say it is good for you to leave us so that you could send us the Holy Spirit. We thank you that God himself resides in us, not just outside of us, not just pushing us, but leading and directing from the inside out. That the Holy Spirit is to lead us into all truth, to lead us into um, the, the, the choices that most glorify and most glorify you and most edify your church and edify the people of your church. I pray, Lord, that if there are people in this church who have not called upon your name, that today would be the day of their salvation. That the very promise of the Holy Spirit would be a promise that they call upon today. Lord, we, we are so thankful. I think, Lord, when I think of all that your Son has done for us, that the gift of the Holy Spirit, it, it, it's, it's like the frosting on the cake. It's, it's so much over and above what you needed to do for us. That 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 you've already died for our sins, and, and now you proceed to give even more to us through your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that that would be the reality for all the people of this church today, not just a select few, not just the leadership, not just the kids, or not just the adults, but for all people, that they would call upon the name of Jesus and be filled by your Holy Spirit to be led by you each and every day of their lives. And we give you the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.